Revelation 1. We're still in Revelation 1. It is an introductory chapter, and um, it's kind of vital in how you interpret uh, the book of Revelation on some of the things you do in chapter 1. We're not quite to those portions yet, but we'll see it. Uh, He's kind of made some allusions, but we'll we'll pull all together before we get to the end. Um, This is a big book, and so it does have a big introduction. And we're not even really to the revelation yet. He's going to give it, and we'll, we'll get a little glimpse of it here this morning. We're ready for verse 9. We'll read verse 9 and 10 here. It says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom of patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of the God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. We'll stop right there for now. We'll get a little bit further, but right now we'll focus on this. This is kind of like the setting or the background of what is taking place. We've had some introductions. We we know what this book is about. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ that was given to God, to him, and then he gave it to John to give to us, and so we know that. We're told that we're to be looking for him. Behold, we we talked about that last week, and he's he's made some introductions of himself in that uh, Jesus and, and the Lord have introduced themselves in the Holy Spirit as well. John is writing. It's the third time John's been mentioned here, but, but now he's talking specifically to us. I, John, he starts out there, and he's going to give us his account. So this is John. This is John the Apostle we've talked about. He's part of that inner circle with uh, uh, Peter and James, you know, that um, there were the twelve, but then there was this inner group, and he's in that really close group, and he was really close with Jesus. He's an early disciple, and he's a, um, one who was particularly zealous, it seemed like, uh, and, and committed to Christ. He's one the one we have an account of, who was at the cross. You know, all the others fled. You know, John's one who comes later, comes in, and he stands with, you know, Jesus' mother. He's there with them, and he beholds the thing. He watches them to the point where Jesus, when he's dying, he, he tells John to take care of his mother, Mary, and he says, Mary, you know, he's going to be like a son unto you, and, and, and John, you, you treat her like your own mother, and John does that. You know, he, he takes her. You know, what an honor to be bestowed upon him. I think that shows us some of the closeness he has with Jesus Christ. And so... He did that. He, he did care for her. He moved her to Ephesus where he was and other things that history tells us. And so um, he did have this close relationship. He tells us here that he's our brother. Verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother. What a fine company we have in the family of faith. You know, that, that John would be our brother. Uh, that there's a common bond between us and him that joins us together. That's pretty awesome when you think about it. When you think about the saints throughout history that that we are part of a family together, you know, and we don't want to be the black sheep. <laughs> we, we don't want to be the oddball, you know, and so they're, they're good leaders, they're good role models for us. You know, there's sometimes it's nice to have an older brother, an older, you know, somebody in the family that you live up to and, and that you kind of have that for. Here we have these, these early disciples, these early apostles, and he's, he's one of the brothers in the faith. He's one of ours, you know. He, he's not so far above, and, and oh, he's St. John and do whatever. He's family. He's one like us. He had the same temptations, the same things he faced that you and I do, and yet we have an account of his faithfulness here. And so it's an encouragement to us to be as faithful as John, to live like John. You know, he's a brother. You know, he knows what it's like. And so he intercedes on our behalf. It was said, you know, in his last days that the main thing he was saying was love one another. You know, don't do what the world tells you. Love one another. Love brothers and sisters. We get that in First, Second, Third John. You know, we have it kind of mentioned in there. But even those who knew him, you know, in Ephesus as he was there, so that was a common phrase that he had. Here's an answer to church problems: Love one another. Get along. Treat one another like family. That was a rule that Elaine and I have. The family. It's like we are family forever. You will get along. 
You will love one another. There will be a bond that is there. You know, and it is encouraging as adults to hear that our kids talk to each other on the phone, that they, they do have that, that bond. And it's a, quite a reward in that. And to have that as church brothers and sisters, too, to be working behind the scenes with one another, not just here in this building, but outside to encourage one another, to be able to, to talk and, and, and to share in that way because there's a family bond there. I've always felt safe, like when my kids were first leaving the house and getting jobs outside, and I'd think about where they were traveling, I'd be like, well, you know, somebody from the church lives there, and somebody from the church lives there, and it's like, if they ever need help, you know, here's, here's places along the way that I know that I could call, in, and they would be there, just like I would be there for them. It's nice having that, isn't it? Knowing that we're not alone, that we have family that is here, and nobody considers that way. There's a lot of big safe area here around because I know we're here, you know, that, that, that we have that. And so um, we're not treading into foreign ground. We're treading into safe ground where John's been before. Safe might be a relative term here, but, but it's like it's some place where the saints have been before. And so that's family. We have family in him, Bible heroes that are family, brothers and sisters in Christ um, that are rooting for us. As Hebrew tells us that cloud of witnesses that watch out for us. He also tells us that, um, verse 9, I, John who also am your brother and companion in tribulation. Yeah, your companion in tribulation. So he's not only our brother, but he's our companion in tribulation. I don't know that he's necessarily my companion in tribulation. I don't know that I've suffered in tribulation like John has or other saints have. Doesn't mean I might not, but um, there's some who've suffered greatly. And John is able to say, hey, I, I know. I know. And I think, man, what a comfort that would be, you know, knowing that they, he knows. Uh, it's one thing knowing that Christ knows, you know, but also knowing that you have someone else who's been in that place. And, hey, God was, I was close with Jesus. You know, I knew Jesus personally. I still suffered tribulation. Don't you shake your fist at him. John doesn't. Now, don't turn your back on him. You stay faithful. You stay loyal. It's like, Jesus was with me through this. Jesus is worth it. It's that kind of a cheerleader along it. You keep going. You keep digging. And so he's there. I'm your companion in tribulation. I wasn't spared because, you know, John's saying that. I'm not, I wasn't spared because I was close with him. You know, don't you think that he's turned his back on you? No. You know, we're going to learn about some faithful servants who are being tortured in the next few chapters. So no, Jesus hasn't forsaken them or forgotten them, but they sure are in some good company. You know, those who are accounted worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. This book is going to be full of tribulations. Christians are going to be there. They're going to have to endure them. And some will succumb to them. It will cost them their lives. But I bet there's encouragement in this verse here as they go back to it and say, well, John did too. We'll suffer as well. They are not forsaken. John the Beloved suffered as well. So he's not only that, but he also says, our companion in tribulation, but in the kingdom and in the patience of Jesus Christ. He's our brother, and he's, we get to partake in the future kingdom with him. He's like, I, I'm a resident of the future kingdom of Jesus Christ. He's, he's already kind of even told him some of the jobs that he would have. He, he told him he'd sit on a throne. We get to have a participation in that kingdom, that future kingdom, that future time with him. And so I think sometimes it's good to be reminded, especially when hard times are honest or coming, there's a reward ahead. There's a better day ahead. There's a time when all this will pay off. It will all pay off. This is all not for naught. We get to spend eternity with the other saints. We get to see them. We get to be with them. We get to serve and reign with him. And so he's kind of like giving us that illusion, you know, to give us patience. That's what he says here, the patience of Jesus Christ. And I think that's part of that waiting for his return. I'm sure through a lot of his tribulations, he's like, come get me now, Lord. Come, come take me now. Come, come set it in. Set up your kingdom. Many a Christian has said that throughout the time. 
even today. We're coming. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Uh, I passed out some of our uh, Christmas ornaments to the Christian school over there, and I was like, hey, this is talking about the soon return of our Lord. And they're, amen, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Well, some of the things I said is I gave some to the teachers there. I'm like, yeah, that's our, our feeling. It's like, we're, we're ready. You know, but we have to have patience. Our God is long-suffering. Uh, we're waiting for Jesus' return. And so we, we wait, and we're to look for his coming. John did, and we're to do it now, too. Now he tells us where he is, verse 10. He says, uh, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Oh, sorry, I got ahead of myself. Verse 9 says, uh, I was in the aisle called Patmos for the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Um, that's where I'm at. Uh, Patmos. He's on this island called Patmos. Um, don't think he's on vacation. It's like, oh, we're going down and we're all going to go to the Isle of Patmos. That it wasn't that kind of island. Uh, it wasn't that way. It's not recorded in Scripture, but we do have it in history uh, about some of the background of the Isle of Patmos and the, what this account with John. Uh, the historian Tertullian tells us in the Cup, version 36, well, some ancient writing, uh, that he was under the emperor Domitian. Uh, he was the Caesar at the time, and that John had been thrown in a cauldron of boiling oil at the uh, Portia of Latina in Rome, but he suffered no injury. So basically, John was preaching about Jesus Christ. He was sharing what Jesus Christ had done for him. He was sharing about the resurrection and that they crucified him, yet he'd risen again, which was Rome's major way of trying to enforce compliance and to following them and to succumbing to them. And yet you have someone who has victory over that. You know, that's not a good message to be going around. You know, it's not, it's not having the intent that I know one who, who defeated the cross. I know one who defeated death. I know one who's done this and I've seen him. He's alive. And, and they couldn't shut him up. Well, they'd do everything they could. So they boiled him. So here they threw him in a cauldron of oil, but he suffered no injury. Other reports said that they had poisoned him. They slipped poison into his cup. They did things to try to poison him. Nothing affected him. And so they didn't know what to do with him. He wouldn't shut up about Jesus, was literally kind of the modern version of what they said. So they tried to kill him. That didn't work. So they sent him to the Isle of Patmos. Patmos is an island um, just east of Turkey. Um, West of Greece, it's kind of in the middle there in the Aegean Sea. And a matter of fact, as the isthmus kind of comes around on Turkey or Asia Minor back then, it's just south a few miles from Izmir, which is where the Van Winkles went, which is Smyrna. You know, so just kind of, it's kind of neat looking at the map and putting it all together and like, we have a missionary over there, which is, which is pretty neat to think about. And so it's there in the Aegean Sea. I think they said it was like six miles wide, maybe 10 miles long. Uh, there's not a tree on There's nothing there. It's basically a source of marble. They usually kind of had the prisoners like work to, to mine the marble was something that they did. The best way to kind of think of it in, in a semi-modern way, it was the Romans' version of Alcatraz. You know, if you think of Alcatraz, it was a prison island, you know, surrounded by a swift current where you couldn't get off. And so even if you got out of your cell, you were stuck on the island, you know, you're, you're going to drown and be forced to, to face the elements in the other ways. And so it was a, it was a prison without bars, in, in effect. Like I said, about 10 miles long, 6 miles wide. He was there until Domitian died, and then he was released. So he's there for suffering, and he tells us why he is there. And then at the end of verse 9, he says, For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So history has it right. That's what they said. He wouldn't shut up about Jesus. And this is why he's there, and this is what John tells us. I'm here because uh, I kept talking about what Jesus said. I kept talking about the word of God and how he fulfilled it. 
The only Bible that they had at that time was the Old Testament. They were able to go through the Old Testament and show them the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he would come. They would look at all those prophecies and they would share it. And they wrote a lot of them down when they, when they shared the gospels to us. And so he would use that. He fulfilled scripture. He fulfilled scripture and he would tell it and he would tell it. And he would talk about how he defeated death and how he rose again and how he saw him and the many miracles that he'd seen him perform in the three and a third years that he had lived with him and watched him as he ministered. And he told all this. They're like, we can't quiet him. Let's put him on an island where nobody else is. You know, so they stuck him there. But man, what encouragement for us. This is an example of Christian living. How did the disciples live after Jesus left? How did they live in the threat of death? They did what they were supposed to do. They spoke about Christ. They spoke about their testimony. They talked about who he was and what he'd done, what he'd done for them, what he was doing, the things that they'd seen him do and transform lives, uh, the, the things that they knew that he did, had fulfilled the scripture and told about the scriptures that he was going to fulfill. He's coming again to overthrow this world, to establish his kingdom. Kingdoms don't like to hear that talk. You know, they don't like to hear those things. Yeah, so they, they put him in jail, basically, for his preaching of the word and for his testimony. The testimony of Jesus Christ. That persecution is coming soon. Texas right now has some laws on the book that basically, without name, are, are is banning Christianity and banning Christianity practiced as the Bible says. And most of that is because you would think, well, Texas, you know, it's a pretty conservative state. It was. But because of all the things that go on in California, people are moving from California to Texas and it's changing and swaying the numbers and how things are. And so they move to the populated areas. Austin is one of the most liberal uh, cities in, in Texas and it's, uh, the major cities are turning over even though Texas is large. You know, big cities has a lot of concentrated people in it. And so Christianity is under attack. We live in a dark, dark day. Just this past couple of weeks, the turn our country has made towards life. Shocking. You know, to have such honor even be given to it. When New York passes that they can have an abortion up to the delivery date, and that they honored this by lighting up major things in their city with pink. How sick. You know, then Virginia says, no, we'll have it like during labor. You can commit it to the point where the governor said, no, even after the baby is born, we have a right to end that life and to end it this way. And so they're talking about infanticide and making it popular, pushing it. That's their goal anyway, to be able to kill on demand whenever they want. God help our nation. God help where we are. We need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world needs to hear the transforming miracle uh, that, that they can have performed on them if they would just repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ to save them. He is the only hope that our nation has. And so, I once was lost, but now I am found. They can argue with anything and everything, and they can try to throw holes in it. You know, the one thing they can't attack and they can't deny is your testimony. Who you were, who you are what you were saved from, the transforming work of Jesus Christ in your life. What can they argue? They can't. Your faithfulness is a, a, an endorsement to what Christ has done. You know, the, how you were, how you are, where you spend your time, how you spend your thoughts, how you spend it, how you behave, how you react, what, the things that you do, how you use your money. You know, that is all there, speaking volumes for them. Uh, John spoke it. We're to speak it. The transforming power of Jesus Christ. The more you hear testimonies, and I love testimonies, and one of the hearts of uh, reformers is that there's a time of testimony at the beginning of each time. It was our first night, so we played some testimonies from other reformers' meetings, and just to hear transformed lives, hard-looking men talking about, and then I went to RU, and then I met Jesus Christ, and man, now they're on fire for God and bringing others in there. One even, even had uh, 
his memory verses on his arms just like a quarterback, you know, that, that has the little pad there. He had him up on his arms. He had a jersey on. He goes, man, when I'm down, I'm looking for my next play, pretty much, kind of the deal. You know, I, I memorize and think on this scripture, think on this to help me have a, as a defense out in the world. I'm like, amen. Put it on the palm of our hands. That's the flack areas. The Old Testament says this guy had a modern-day version of it. It's pretty neat. Share your testimony. It's an encouragement. Anytime I hear any of your testimonies, it's an encouragement to me, let alone if I hear new testimonies. Man, I was just thinking this morning, he has saved people in roller skating rinks. He has saved people in garages, in barns, on farms, at kitchen tables, bunk beds, in bedrooms, at altars and offices, while driving, in jails. There's no bounds. There's no limit. There's no fence that keeps Jesus Christ out and saying, oh, he can't save someone here. He can save somebody anywhere and everywhere, no matter what part and where, what they're doing, no matter what's going on. He can come down and transform their life, change them in a moment, in that instant when they repent of their sins and they trust in him to save them. Man, should we not be telling it? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The Bible says John was doing that, sharing those stories. We can share those stories. Share your stories. Share the stories of others. Let your testimony be known that others have it in their back pocket. Well, I'll tell you of someone else. You know, and, and be able to share that testimony of them. Man, there's something about that. There's the humbleness of saying, I, it's not me bragging. It's me telling you what my Savior has done. He's taken me out of that miry clay and set my feet upon a rock. Uh, man, you know, the transforming work of Jesus Christ. We are to publicly tell our story. The world will notice. The world noticed John. The world took note of him and what he was doing, and uh, yeah, they put him on Patmos. <laughs> it's like, we can't keep him quiet. He gathers crowds, people listen to him. Let's put him where no people are, and so they stick him there. So we move on to verse 10. So that, that's kind of our setting. That's, that's kind of the why. And so I think you know, one of the reasons why John gets this revelation is because he's a sounding trumpet. You know, he, he is one who makes it known, and so he's like, remember Peter, you know, when Peter is being told that basically there's going to be a day when you're going to want to get up and do what you want to do, and they're not, it's not going to be that way. And, and basically he's telling that you're going to be crucified, uh, just like I was. And, and then Peter, being Peter, says, well, what about this guy? You know, he turns around to John, what about him? You know, is he going to, and Jesus says, you know, if, if he lives until he sees me, you come back, you know, what's that to you? And so he is one that doesn't die a martyr's death. He was one that dies of old age and one that has a long life and, and one that proclaims much and has written much and encouraged the church and kept them on track. And, and it's, so it seems fitting that God would bestow this message upon him. Verse 10 says he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. In the Spirit. This, I think this is a unique experience. Now, when you repent of your sins and trust Christ to save you, the Spirit takes up residence within you. That is true. The Holy Spirit lives within us. I think this is something unique. He has a spirit within him, but now he is in the spirit. The spirit is moving and acting and, and trans, you know, doing something in his life that is different and that is outside of the norm. Uh, it's unique here. I think he's carried beyond his normal senses to be able to um, see the things that he's going to see. This is mentioned four times in the book of Revelation where he says, I was in the spirit. And he says it here, he was in the spirit on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, and, and Revelation 4, 2 he says he was up in heaven. He goes, I was in the spirit. Next thing you know, I'm in heaven. And I'm able to see the events. And he tells us about the throne room and the scroll and the seals being broken. And he, and he witnesses all these things. And it's like he's up watching this. And then Revelation 17, the spirit takes him out into the wilderness. And then he watched this scene play out about, you know, uh, the, the, a lady gives birth to a baby. And a dragon comes and tries to eat it. And it's hidden in the wilderness. And he has all these things that he's able to watch and see because he's, 
in this spirit state. And then Revelation 21, God takes him to the high mountain of God. He's able to watch the new Jerusalem come down. He watches the end of the world. He watches the beginning of eternity all take place in this special place prepared for him to be able to watch it. He's, it's something other. It's something different. The best thing I can think to try to even wrap my mind around and explain what it is would be a Christmas story with Ebenezer Scrooge, right? You know, as he's there and he's, again, it's, you know, a story, you know, but Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future come and they take him and he's able to see these events outside of normal circumstances. It's kind of like, that's kind of the best modern thing that I can think that would put it in this way, that he is transported to be able to witness these things. He is there and but he's not there, but, he, but he's, kind of, you know, he's able to see and show these things. I think that's what he's talking about here by saying he is in the Spirit. Uh, that he's able to see these things. And he says it's on the Lord's Day. When was that? Is that Christmas? Is that Easter? No. But a little history helps us out. Uh, during John's day, during the Roman Empire, the first day of each month was called the Emperor's Day. He was going to be head of the month, you know, and so they would honor the emperor on that first day of the month. Well, Christians don't want to honor the emperor, but you're going to live on that day of the month. You know, so it's going to be there. So what they do? So Christians in that day proclaim their allegiance to Jesus Christ, not the emperor, by honoring him on the first day of every week. And so they're like, ah, yeah, we have one who's the Lord of the, you know, the Sabbath, the Lord of every day. You know, he's, he's, we're going to honor him. And so today, Sunday was the Lord's day. They got together. They honored him on the first day of the week. We made him Lord. We put him first on the first day of each and every week. Not just once a month. He's first in, uh, every week. He's the Lord of our week. And so the Lord's day. Uh, so today, on a Sunday, is what he was doing. So he was worshiping. He was in the spirit. Whatever happens on the Lord's day. And so just to caution you there, uh, that's not the day of the Lord. That is very different than the Lord's day. The day of the Lord is the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's war, there's tribulation, there's fightings, there's battles, there's judgment. That is completely different than the day of the Lord here. Um, but he says here in the, the end of verse 10, And I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Uh, he hears this voice like a trumpet. Now, trumpets are uh, loud. One of the things that uh, the, our kids went to uh, Tabernacle there and um, Joel said he wanted to take up band, and uh, he's pretty musical. And, oh, why well, you want to learn? A uh, quiet instrument, trumpet. You know, so he had a trumpet, and, and he would practice, and you knew anywhere in the house if Joel was practicing trumpet. You know, it's a loud, it's clear, and it's uh, very hard to play. You think it's just blowing the end? No, there's all this whole embouchure thing you have to do in it, and I don't know how you make it work. And it, it kind of makes it silly. Now you watch these famous people do it, I'm like, I know they're just doing a raspberry in there, <laughs> making it go, but man, they're good at it. <laughs> but that's how it works. And so uh, they're, they're blowing this trumpet, and it's loud, and it's shrill. And it always kind of amazed me, and he, as Elaine and I went to many a competition as the kids were in school, and we heard many a band and, and performance and things, that uh, these instruments, you know, that are ancient, how loud they were. You know, they could fill a concert hall without any amplification. You know, they were there. They were kind of designed for a bunch of people are going to get together. We could play, and a violin would be loud, you know, and all these wind instruments, they'd all be very loud and be able to throw forth their sound. And that's why the trumpet was often used. It was the attention getter, you know. You always think of that, da 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 You know, it's usually in sports or something, you know, you get the big charge. It's to get them together in that way. I can remember the first time, really, an encounter with a trumpet to get my attention was 
Way back when in ancient history in Indiana, there used to be a place called Paramount Pizza Palace. Anybody ever go and eat some pizza there? You, know, you had the mighty Wurlitzer organ, you would come spinning up out of the floor, and this lady or, lady or guy, I think there's two of them that could play it. And, and the whole building was this organ. I mean, there's walls that moved, there was instruments all attached all the way on the side, and you'd go there and eat pizza, and they'd play all these songs, and it was pretty neat. And I remember one time we went, I think it was with all my cousins, and we were up on the top floor, and somebody had suggested the Rocky theme. You know, I don't know if you remember the Rocky theme, but it starts out, dun, 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 dun. and we were sitting right under the trumpets uh, up in the balcony, and we thought it was a rapture. It was like, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> like the trumpets are sounding, they are calling us forth. You know, they got your attention, especially when you're right underneath those things. And so it is something that gets your attention. When the trumpets sounded, we were all sitting there. I can remember everyone on our table turned around looking like, now I realize we're under the trumpets and why these aren't the choice seats of the house. You know, so uh, it, it is right there. And so it gets your attention. All of a sudden, I forgot about the spinning thing coming out of the floor. I forgot about the pizza I was eating and the drink I had. I was looking to see that trumpet. What is going on? It, it centered in my focus at what was happening. That's what this is for, too. It, it is something that calls the attention. It was to turn everybody there. Matter of fact, on Wednesday, we talked about Nehemiah, that they had trumpets around the wall, and if the attack happened, they would sound that trumpet, and you would run to that trumpet. This is helping John focus because of what has happened. He is on the Isle of Patmos, but he's about to see things different. And so we have this trumpet voice that focuses in, and it helps to direct his attention, and he's able to focus in on that, block out everything else to say, what is this? And to look at that, to to give him his fullest attention. So he hears this voice like a trumpet, which I can't imagine. This loud, clear voice that pulls his attention in. And it focuses in him uh, so that throughout this strange experience, he now sees what he's supposed to see. The the Isle of Patmos dies away. The focus of this, what we're going to find out, is Jesus Christ standing there becomes his full attention. And he doesn't see anything else. And so... There's a lot I could imagine with that, how it happens. So the trumpet sound does that. It fixes his attention on Jesus. He blocks out everything else. Then Jesus says this in verse 11, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. So he starts out with identifying himself, I am the Alpha and Omega, which he's done for us before earlier, verse 8. And so we know this is Jesus speaking, but it's different. It's not like the Jesus that John knew on the earth. That's what he's telling us at the first verse. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. You are seeing him in his different position. He is now the loud and boisterous one. He is now the one who is proclaiming, I am the one in charge of all this. I am the beginning and the end. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the one who is over all time. You know, and so he's declaring all these things in a loud voice. And he's going to describe Jesus that we'll get into next week in ways that we've not seen him before. You know, he starts to paint this picture. So he is revealing himself as the one who is Lord in charge over all these things. And so... He is speaking here. He is showing him his power, his authority. He's revealing himself. And he tells him again by the common thing, I am the one who is at the first. I am the one who decides what's at the end. I am the one who's over everything, the first and the last. I am in charge. And so he's telling him that. And then he gives him directions. And I'm thinking John would listen. You know, if all of a sudden you're on the Isle of Patmos and you have this experience, now we have Jesus in front of you and he gives him this command. He says, what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches. What thou seest. So he's basically telling him, I'm going to show you some things. We all know it's going to be some different things. You know, the book of Revelation, we've been through it some before. And so it's like, hey, you're going to see some different things. It's not just for you. You're going to share this. 
Maybe sometimes some things we're showing are private. I know Paul saw some of this, I think. He was translated to the third heaven. And he saw things and he says, I was told not to tell you. It was for him alone. It was for him alone to see he wasn't to share. That's why I'm usually dubious when someone says, hey, I went to heaven, let me tell you all I saw. I'm like, they didn't let Paul tell us. I don't know they're going to let you necessarily tell me. Because it was reserved for John. You know, Because he says, I want this to be the account. I have John, my servant, my faithful servant. I'm going to have him share. And so, you know, if it's there, you know, I, I don't know. Like I said, it just makes me a little skeptical. Uh, but Paul wasn't allowed to tell. But here he tells him, no, this isn't private. This isn't just for you. I want you to take what you see and I want you to write it in a book. And he's reminded 11 more times throughout the book of Revelation. Because I think maybe, you know, in the vastness of what is going on and what he has seen and what he's taking in, that maybe he gets a little bit... I don't know, kind of like just overwhelmed. And so 11 more times throughout the book of Revelation, he's going to tell him, write this in a book. Make sure you write this down. This is something you don't want to forget. Take a note on that. You know, and so uh, he, he tells him that. And so we have those reminders. We'll, we'll see. And so, so he says, write it down. And he says, put it in a book. Or, you know, write it in a book and then send it to the seven churches. And then he picks out seven churches in Asia, which are modern-day Turkey today. Uh, Ephesus. Smyrna, Izmir, uh, we have a missionary to there, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, seven churches. Well, we know enough that seven's an important number in the book of Revelation. Seven means completeness. So the complete church, send it to the whole church, uh, could be the message that is there. matter of fact, I think it is. Uh, these churches are laid out so that they make a circle. You know, as you go to the first one, and as the letters were taken around, it would be complete that way, just like at a wedding you hear about a ring being a circle, it's complete. So we have the complete church, the whole church, give a letter to the whole church, is hidden here. And we know that there were more than seven churches in Asia, but he picked out seven specific ones. Colossae uh, is a church. We have the book of Colossians, our letter of Colossians written to them. They're not given a letter, so specific ones are chosen for specific reasons. The God who is the one who is over the first and the last, the beginning and the end, who sees all, says, I picked out seven specific churches for seven specific reasons. And you're going to write a letter to them because it's going to go to the whole church, to the complete church. And that's part of what unlocks what's going to happen for us in the next chapters, chapters 2 and chapter 3, or those letters that are written to those churches. So I think it is seven because it is complete. And I think that these seven churches, and most do agree, that these are the representative churches of the church throughout history. Uh, history even bears it out. But these churches are not only local churches, but they're also churches uh, and throughout the span of time that cover the same area. And they're also local churches. Some churches, like the, the church of Ephesus, some churches are like the church of Laodicea. Some are Philadelphian churches. They have big outreach online. You know, some are you know, Thyatira churches you know, that are... Um, surrounded by the world. So there's all these different ones that he's written to that, that we find throughout time as well. And so we'll look at that more fully as we get in those chapters. But um, it's also individuals. He's, he's talking to us. And so it's pretty cool to think about that on a Sunday, on an isle called Patmos, in the middle of the Aegean Sea, John was commanded by Jesus Christ through this special encounter to write down a book and send it to churches. A message from Jesus Christ to us. A message from Jesus Christ to you. And I've got it, right? You got yours? A letter from Jesus in your lap? What's God have for me today? We've got a book right here written for you. Written to us. Makes it no doubt why this is the most attacked book. Why it's the most neglected book. Why it's the book that most people say don't read. It'll drive you crazy. It'll make you mad. It's insane. You can't figure it out. Don't read that book. 
It's specifically written from Jesus to you. Why would you read that? It reminds me of this. Uh, it says, no wonder um, a fish can obey him, but I don't. A plant can obey him. Think of that little gourd with Jonah. But I don't. The sun can obey him and stand still in the sky. But I don't. A donkey obeys him, opens his mouth and speaks. But I don't. Everything, it seems like everything can obey him. But we don't. People don't. That's the lyrics to Todd Agnew's song, Funny. Yeah, but uh, it's funny how everything can obey him, but I don't. But we should. But we should. And we should take this last example from John before we move on next week. And let's obey him. John wrote it down. We have record of it in our lap. It has been preserved throughout time and history because John was faithful. He wrote it down. He put it in a book. He sent it to the seven churches. The churches copied it. Those copies made copies and those copies made copies. And we have copies in our laps today. We've got it in written form. We've got it on our phone. We've got it on a screen. We've got it on a computer. We've got it out there. It's made it to us. He's got the word out to the churches because John was faithful and obedient to obey him. He's on the Isle of Patmos because he was faithful and obedient to obey him. And so there's one commandment that falls upon all of us that we're to have. It's Mark 16, 15. Go ye into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. Preach the gospel. And if you're like, why, what if I mess up the gospel? Share your testimony. You remember your own story, right? God's equipped each and every one of us with our own story where the transforming work of Jesus Christ has taken us from lost to found, from, from uh, his enemy to adopted as a son or a daughter of Christ. Can you at least share your story? Can you at least tell one your personal experience of Jesus Christ? How you've encountered the God of the universe and what he's done in your life? Or share my story, if you know my testimony, or share Elaine's story, or somebody else's story. Share that testimony, what Jesus Christ is doing, what Jesus Christ has done, what Jesus Christ is, is, is wanting to do in their life. Practice your testimony. Rehearse your testimony. Say your testimony out loud. It is an encouragement to saints. It is an encouragement to the lost that there's hope for them. It doesn't have to be long. I think are you, Dave shared his testimony about a minute. Pretty quick, where he was, who he met, what Christ did, and how he saved him. We could do that, right? We could do that. And we're to practice it, share it out loud, give God the glory for what he's doing in your life. Tell people, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let us proclaim it. Let's go on a mountain. We, we sing all these songs about it. Let's do it. Let's do it. If you don't have that testimony, we ask you that you repent and trust in Jesus Christ today and have that salvation story that we could share. But John is there. Yes, there was a hard price to pay, but man, what a reward it has given to him. Uh, we have the encouragement here for this letter to be faithful, to write it down. If God has called you to do something, do it. Pursue it. Go after it. I'm going to use the RU as an example because it's the most recent one. We showed up. We were there. We were probably, what, five minutes into the first thing. No one else was there. I was the last one. Dave's like, I found a straggler. And it was me coming in late. You know, so I come in late. And so we sit down. We're going to go ahead and start. We're just going to run this meeting as if we had people here. And we're all like, okay, yeah, we'll get it under our belt. And so faithfully, he starts the video. We're going, coming in the door. Coming in the door. You can see us all straightened up a little bit more. We're like, amen, amen. And Dave's on the front row. I think someone's back here. <laughs> no, but it was in that way. But God honored faithfulness. If we wouldn't have been there, would they have been there? No. What has God put on your heart to do? This week, maybe it's buy gloves. That'd be a good place to start and get some food. But get busy and be active about the, the, the Lord's uh, movement. See what He's doing. If you can't come to our, you pray for it. 
surround that way. Invite people. Hang up a banner. So we get some flyers you can hang up someplace, or you know, share it on your Facebook or however it all works. And you know, let people all know in that way. There's all. There's always something for us to do. We're not called to be just saved and sit here. We're called to action. We have the master's call. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel. Maybe one of the missionaries really sticks in you. You know, encourage the Van Winkles. Encourage Jordan and Mindy. They need it just as much, man. They're fighting our youth here. That has so much of distraction. Maybe you know, the Burleys need something. You know, we have the Great Adventure Club right here. Our youth. We have, we have many opportunities. Find one. Introduce us to a new one. Get us on board with you. We'll do it. New song we're not necessarily partnering with, but, man, we're going to try to partner with them to be able to help them in that way. They're doing something, reaching our youth in that way. There's many things. Let's just be busy about the master's business. You know, that's not what saves us. Works don't, but man, because we are saved, you know, let's tell others. You know, we should at least be able to be a beggar telling another beggar where they can find bread. And here's where hope is. Here's where salvation. Here's where, here's where redemption is. And we should be able to share it with them. And we should be faithful in doing so like John was.